Depends on you who braved the grossness to come here this morning. One of my patients this week had the nerve to show up sick and gave it to me. <clears throat> and so my voice is not what it usually is, so uh, bear with me this morning if I have to clear my throat and cough a few times. Well, welcome back to our uh, sermon series on John chapter 15. If, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Carl Carr. I'm one of the elders here at TBC. It's our practice here for our senior pastor, Skeet Alderson, to deliver um, approximately two-thirds of the sermons, and then the other one-third of the teachings on Sunday mornings are brought by various elders and uh, pastors, and this way you get to hear from the heart of uh, our entire leadership team. If you've been following this series that we have titled Abide, today's sermon will be our actually our sixth teaching on the 15th chapter of John. For today, we're going to be focusing specifically on the aspect of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15 regarding bearing fruit. So bearing fruit this morning. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you're now fairly familiar with this passage as one that Jesus Uh, uses vines and branches and fruit as metaphors to describe kingdom life and to describe this relationship that should be between the believer and Christ. Within this metaphor, you might remember that Christ is represented by the vine. The Father is represented by the vine dresser. We are the branches. And as branches of the vine, we are expected to bear fruit. Now, as I study to uh, prepare for today's teaching on bearing fruit, two central questions regarding bearing fruit emerged from this chapter. And I think they are of utmost importance. First of all, <clears throat> if we as believers are to bear fruit, we must clearly answer the question of what exactly is this fruit that we are called to produce. The second question, and perhaps the one that's going to be more difficult for us to answer this morning, is how exactly can we accomplish this fruit bearing? So, if we can clearly understand what Jesus has to say in chapter 15 about bearing fruit, then the ramifications of these truths from the very words of Jesus should be foundational and serve to constantly shape our relationship with our Savior. So, let's dive in this morning by turning to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. You can read along on the screen with me above. We're going to be referring this morning to the ESV version of the Bible. And so you can either look on the screen or you can read along in your own Bible with us this morning. So 1 through 17 in John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so proved, and so proved to be my disciples. <clears throat> As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I command you, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. So... Here in this passage, we have this vivid picture of relationship and trust, both within the Godhead and between God and those who trust Him. So from this rich passage, this morning I would like to address these two questions. What is the fruit described in this passage, and how exactly, as believers, can we bear this fruit described by Jesus? But before we can accurately answer these two questions about fruit, chapter 15 begins with Jesus describing two different kinds of branches. So look again with me at verses 1 through 3, and I want you to notice the two types of branches. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, as Jesus begins the vine and branches teaching, he begins by acknowledging that there are different types of vines. He, Jesus, is the true vine, implying that there are false vines or false gods. But he then goes on to identify two distinct types of branches that are attached to the vine. So, branch number one... The first kind of branch is described in two ways there in verse 2. This branch is in Christ, but it is not bearing fruit. Jesus says that the Father takes away this branch. Now, this term takes away has caused all kinds of difficulties. And it's translated from the original Greek word aero or iro and spelled A-I-R-O. And this term takes away as aero can mean to lift up, to take up, or carry which is the more common use of the word in the New Testament, or the same word can mean to pick out, select, or remove, which is the more common use of a similar term from the Old Testament. So it becomes very important to apply this term within the context of a branch that's declared to be in Christ, or you can take that phrase in all different kinds of directions that it was not intended. So this verse is not about losing your salvation, as Jesus points out in the following verse, verse 3. I really think there are two possibilities that exist here. One is that an unfruitful branch is a carnal Christian. 
Or it could be that an unfruitful branch is not a Christian, but hangs around masquerading as a Christian. And in that case, the in Christ term would mean that they're at church. Within this metaphor, however, a vine treasure would be able to lift up real branches, and it also would be able to pull weeds. So it's possible that both ideals could be in play here. Either way, the bottom line and the most important point for us is that Jesus affirms here that if one of his branches is not bearing fruit, that he will act, and he will not leave that branch unfruitful. Stated another way, if a believer in Christ is not bearing fruit, what Paul describes as a carnal Christian, then God will act in the life of that believer. This passage clearly states that God is active among his people and he's not watching from a distance just to see what we will do. So God will not leave you as a believer and unfruitful. He will not leave you unfruitful. Well, how does God act in the life of an unfruitful branch? There's probably more, but I've identified about five. And there's a little bit of overlap. So how does God act? Well, one, God can apply discipline directly and confront you. Number two. God can orchestrate other believers to enter your life to admonish you and to hold you accountable. Number three, the Holy Spirit, grieved by your unfruitfulness, can bring about agitation or discomfort to convict you and to change your heart. Number four, this is a little bit of a scary one. God can allow your your need level to rise. That's right, God can bring you to the point that you will look to him. And number five is something that we don't even like to talk about in Christian circles, but God can bring you home rather than leave you unfruitful. The take-home message, however, is that if you are unfruitful, God will act. So that's branch number one. Branch number two. While this first branch was described as in Jesus but not bearing fruit, this in the second half of verse two there, Jesus identifies this other branch as in Christ and bearing fruit. And this branch that is in Christ and bearing fruit is described as the branch that the Father prunes. My youngest daughter, Taylor, last year, um, my kids love when I use them in sermons, but um, my youngest daughter, Taylor, they planted a, uh, she and I, we planted a, a small garden in a planter box last year. We both had the urge to garden, apparently. One plant that she planted was a small tomato plant, and the other plant was a cucumber plant. We knew what kind of plants they were because the plants came with little labels on them, and it identified what kind of plant was in the little container there. Now, this tomato plant, to our amazement, when we began to water it, grew up immediately. It was this huge, bushy bush. It was gorgeous. And so we were really ready for this plant to produce all these tomatoes. And all season long, this beautiful, bushy plant produced one golf ball-sized orange tomato. And we didn't even eat it. Now, amazingly, though, the other plant, our cucumber plant, grew up quickly as well, and it immediately started producing okra. (laughs) That's right, our, our cucumber plant started making okra. This gardening stuff is bizarre, okay? 
So either we had a garden miracle or that plant was labeled wrong because all season long our cucumber plant produced a bumper crop of okra. Now, now Taylor and I are obviously amateurs at gardening, but a real gardener would prune a plant so that it would produce the most fruit. Pruning involves getting rid of aspects of a plant that inhibit fruit. So how does God prune in the life of a fruitful believer? Because in John chapter 15, pruning refers to an actually fruitful believer. Well, if you follow the metaphor with God as the vine dresser, then God prunes to get rid of anything that blocks nutrients from the vine to the branch. So pruning could involve getting rid of certain relationships. Pruning could involve getting rid of certain sins in your life. Pruning could involve getting rid of certain habits, certain hobbies, or really anything that's choking out your fruit as a believer. So I want to stop here and make a point. Because I think it's important to distinguish here that some some activities, uh, some interests that we have as Christians may be morally neutral. But some of these morally neutral habits that we have can sap your strength and sap your time to the point to the point that it affects your fruitfulness as a believer. I have heard a little personal here, but I have heard on several occasions from men at TBC that they are too busy to disciple others or witness to their neighbors or be in a life group and at the same time I know for a fact that they're in sports activities four nights a week. So The question becomes, can activities be morally neutral? Yeah, I think so. Can activities even become an opportunity to bear fruit? Yeah, I think so. But can activities reach a level where it actually requires pruning from God? And I think the answer is absolutely. You see, I think that in any discussion of bearing spiritual fruit... We must first accept the obvious point from John chapter 15 that the quality and the quantity of fruit is a direct reflection of how well the branch is connected to the vine. When the connection to the vine is altered, then our fruit is altered. And when we try to do it on our own, when we try to go off and do it without being connected to the vine, then what we get as results is weird. What we get is leafy, fruitless plants that don't produce, or we get plants that shoot up and produce okra when we were really planted for cucumbers. Okay, I want to move now from these branches, the fruit bearers, to the actual fruit. So if spiritual fruit bearing is what we as believers are called to produce... I think our first question of what is spiritual fruit is an important one. If we return to our text in John chapter 15, and we really consider fruit in this example, the fruit is really just the outforming of what comes from the vine and then flows through to the branches. So again, if we are the branches, then our fruit should reflect what flows from the vine. What is it then that flows from the vine? What is it that we as branches or as believers receive from the vine? Well, Jesus answers this question here in John chapter 15. So turn with me to verse 9 there. And if you look at verse 9 in John chapter 15, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice here that Jesus has replaced abide in me from the beginning of the chapter with abide in my love in verse 9. So Jesus clarifies further in verse 9 that abiding in Jesus also means abiding in his love. As a result, when we are connected to the vine, then what we receive as branches is this life-giving nutrient of this divinely inspired love for other people. Jesus also makes a parallel statement by saying that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in his love. But but what in this context is Jesus' commandments? Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, once again, you, you see this picture that as branches of the vine or believers in Christ, we are to produce fruit that is consistent with what Christ supplies us. And, and that is his ever faithful and consistent love. That's what he supplies us with. So what is spiritual fruit? Well, Jesus says that it's love for other people. Christ's love flows from him through us and then out to other people. So fruit, defined as loving other people now, if you think about it, that's a pretty broad definition. But thankfully, Scripture goes further, and it's more specific about what kind of love is real spiritual fruit. So look with me now at verse 16 in the same chapter 15 of John. So verse 16, John 15 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And get this, it says, And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus says, that our fruit, our love for other people, should be the kind that abides or lasts. Now, turn back in the book of John to chapter 4. So, about 11 chapters back. Look at John chapter 4. And look at verses 35 through 38. So, verses 35 through 38, beginning in verse 35, John chapter 4. says, Do not say... There are yet four months, then comes... I'm sorry, do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages. And get this, he's gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So, this fruit for eternal life that's in verse 36 of chapter 4 corresponds to this fruit that lasts in verse 16 of John chapter 15. They're the same thing. Therefore, this fruit of loving other people merges with making and growing other disciples. So, fruit that lasts would refer to the fruit of winning others to Christ who are guarded by God's power for salvation. So let's loop back then and ask our first question once more. What is this fruit that we are called to produce? And I believe that the answer to this question, it's really seen as the theme of all Scripture that describes being a disciple of Jesus. This fruit demanded by Jesus in John chapter 15 is very simply loving other people. But this love is not a love in the generic sense where we are kind and tolerant and helpful to all people in whatever their pursuits may be. 
It's more specific than that. As branches of the vine, as believers in Christ, if we really love someone, then the goal and ultimate aim of our love for others is to point them to Christ, to make them disciples. Jesus gives us an example of how this really works in John chapter 13. So turn there with me. John chapter 13. And look for just a moment there at verses 34 and 35. So John 13, verse 34 and 35. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you you also are to love one another. Sounds a lot like John 15, right? And then he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we see that loving other people that's manifested by these fruits of the Spirit that are described in Galatians 5.22, this loving other people and making disciples are not really two different kinds of fruit in Scripture. Christ clearly sees these two meanings of fruit-bearing as merged into a single type of love. John Piper, he echoes this conclusion in his book, Future Grace, where he says, the most winning and powerful witness we can give is the reality of love. So the fruitfulness of obedient love and the fruitfulness of winning people to Christ are really not two different things. They are one. And that is the aim of all real ministry. All right then. If the spiritual fruit that Jesus describes is love for others that points them to Christ, the next question that emerges regarding fruit is how are we to go about bearing this fruit? How can we accomplish fruit bearing? Well, John chapter, 15, John chapter 15, it answers this question as well, but not in a way that you might think. When, when you look at this chapter, what you discover is that the imperative from Jesus is not to bear fruit. In other words, the whole purpose of John chapter 15 is not a chapter on you bearing fruit. The imperative from John chapter 15 from Jesus is to abide in Him. So the secret to fruit bearing is abiding in Christ. And in fact, Jesus says that apart from him, we can't bear fruit. Look in John chapter 15 again, and we want to read verses 4 and 5. So John chapter chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, beginning in verse 4, says, Abide in me, and I on you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, great. We know what fruit is, and if you want to bear fruit, all you have to do is abide in Christ. I had lunch with Bob Savolka the other day, and we both came to the conclusion, and it's like, what, what does that mean exactly? It sounds really neat, abide in Christ, but it's not real clear what that means. And if you read these passages in verse 4 and 5 there, it becomes evident in this passage that as branches, we don't actually produce the fruit. God does. As branches, God uses us to produce His fruit, but we can only be used by God to produce fruit if we remain connected to the vine. We remain connected to the vine by abiding in Christ. Now, just because Christ tells us that we cannot bear fruit 
unless we abide in Him, this seldom prevents us from trying, right? But when we try to make our own fruit without God, it usually turns out weird. Uh, Just like in Taylor's garden, sometimes our efforts at fruit making produce these showy plants with beautiful leaves but no fruit. The ministry equivalent might be a huge, expensive, and impressive display involving lots of volunteers, marketing, and applause, but in the end, no fruit and no results. Likewise, sometimes our effort to produce fruit without Christ ends up producing the wrong kind of fruit, like when you plant cucumbers and okra pops out. Within evangelical churches, some of the strangest groups have popped up. And sometimes they've drawn this quite a bit of a following, and their new religion revolves around Scripture, taken out of context and twisted to fit their purposes. Their focus is no longer on the gospel, but on winning followers for their new fad who, after a time, will eventually end up selling some kind of product for a profit. And all they are producing is weird fruit. In the end, Jesus says in John chapter 15 that trying to produce your own fruit does not please God and it will eventually leave you exhausted and fruitless and disillusioned. James MacDonald, in this book he wrote called Vertical Church asks what I think is an important question. He asks, could it be that Satan allows fruitless ministry models to prosper financially and numerically so that others will imitate them? It's a sobering thought if you think about the positive thinking mega church models that are flourishing in this area. So, To produce this fruit of loving people in a way that points them to Christ and produces disciples is only possible by God working in and through us. God can only do this when we intentionally stay connected to Him. And it's when we abide in Christ. There's that term again. Well, all right then. If we are to abide in Christ, how can we accomplish this? How do we go about abiding in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well... The answer, of course, I believe, lies in the text from this morning. So let's begin first by looking at verse 7 there in John chapter 15. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So first of all, we see right away that to abide in Christ, we must abide in his word. Several weeks ago, John Hattenberger taught us from this very same text about abiding in his word. And one thing that emerged was that to abide in his word, you must be in the word regularly enough so that it spills over into your life and it actually begins to affect how you think. And this is what Paul described as having the mind of Christ. So abiding, first of all, we know, if you want to abide in Christ, you have to be in his word. Second, Scripture is very clear that to abide in Christ, we must be in prayer. In Skeet's teaching last week, we saw this amazing passage where the Holy Spirit intercedes and even prays for us on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. I think Skeet said, you know, you pray dumb things sometimes and the Holy Spirit intercedes with what we need to pray. Isn't that amazing? 
We see in James 5.16 that the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man has this great power to connect with Christ and to produce fruit in our lives. So, so far we have abiding in Christ means both regular time in the Bible and fervent and effectual prayer. But there is something more to it than just being in the Word and in prayer. Because the key to abiding in Christ is abiding in His love. And so, if you want to abide in Christ, yeah, we have to be praying. We have to be in His Word, but we're going to have to abide in His love. And so I've just given you another term that no one knows what that means. So I want to spend a little bit of time on that, because I think it's crucial. Well, what does it mean to abide in His love? And so listen, guys, we have to get this right, or we will never effectively abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ's love is simply a believer's constant and ever-pervasive belief that in all things, no matter what, God loves you. Abiding in His love means that you are constantly sure that God loves you regardless of your circumstances. I want to make that point perfectly clear because that's not always easy. When you abide in Christ's love, not only are you certain of God's love for you, that it never wanes or it never wavers, but you're also certain that God's love is also endless. It's infinite, like a well that never runs dry. So in this paradigm of abiding in His love, you are certain that the things and concerns of this world are almost pointless in in comparison to this assurance of eternity engaged in God's love. This assurance of eternity with Christ, that His love trumps everything else. What do I mean by that? Let me give a a little bit of an example. Do, Do you realize that in many countries, leading someone to Christ may lead them to being shunned by their family? You may be leading them to financial loss. Or in some cases, you may be even leading them to their own execution. As parents, think about this, parents. If we raise our children to abide in Christ, then it is likely that we have raised them in such a way that they will be persecuted as adults. If you don't believe me, just watch the trends in the news every night. The culture that they are growing up into and the culture that is becoming will be one in which Christians are persecuted in the near future. But despite these things, if we are certain of God's constant love, not just in this life, but afterwards, then the circumstances or persecutions that a believer faces become of very little importance compared to God's love. When you are in that point, that is abiding in God's love. Okay. Many of you don't know this. Some of you do. But about 18 months ago, I did a crazy thing. I purchased a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Now, everything about these bikes, the sound, the chrome, the power, the smell, it just just called to me. (laughs) After all of these textual insights, I get an amen from the Harley of all things. So, okay. So as a result, I I took this course, it was this two-day course, about how to ride a motorcycle. I got my license, and I have since ridden about 8,000 miles on this bike. 
I even went to New Orleans and back one time. Now, even though I really love this bike and I love the riding experience, understand this, I would never, ever, never, ever recommend to one of you to go buy a motorcycle. Why? Well, because motorcycles are inherently dangerous. And so I do not want to recommend something that in the long run might not be in my or your best interest. Put that another way. I don't want to recommend something to you and then you go get killed on it and your wife hates me. As a result, I want you to understand that I like motorcycles. One would even say I love motorcycles. But... I do not abide in motorcycles. Do you sort of see the difference? The difference is something you love and enjoy versus something that you would trust your life with. You see, some of us like the idea of Christianity. You may even feel like you love God, but you're not abiding in Christ. Why? Because when things go bad, you are not convinced that God isn't actually loving you less or maybe even doesn't love you at all. You say that you trust God, but you would never take a risk based on God's love for you. You live in such a way that says, I love God, but I'm going to trust in myself because I am not sure that God's love is as constant as he says it is. And when you break this type of belief down completely, this type of thinking makes God into an insurance policy, just in case there is a hell, but not necessarily a God that you can trust. So why is abiding in Christ's love, the certainty of God's love, such an important aspect to abiding in Christ, especially when it comes to producing fruit for the kingdom? We have said earlier that the condition of the branch is reflected by its fruit. And if the branch, the believer, is not abiding in the vine, then it will not produce good fruit. Let me state it another way. If you are not certain of God's love for you, regardless of your circumstances, then it will be very difficult to share God's love with other people in a way that points them to faith in Christ. Your beliefs are reflected by your actions. And your actions can't really convince someone of something that you're not convinced of yourself. And eventually, no matter what label you wear, an okra plant cannot effectively produce cucumbers. Okay. We have rather rapidly covered a a lot of ground this morning, and so I want to wrap up this morning by just repeating what I think is most important in this passage in regards to bearing fruit. First of all, what is fruit? Well, the fruit described by Jesus is loving other people in a way that points them to Christ. Therefore, the definition of fruit in this passage, it's really wider than just witnessing to someone, but it's also much narrower than just doing good deeds. Good deeds and fruit are not necessarily the same thing. Fruit always points toward Christ. Good deeds that are not fruit often point toward the doer. Good deeds that are fruit in the life of a believer, those are birthed by God in us with a motive to point someone towards Christ and to conversion. 
And so if you're here this morning and you're asking, so you mean to tell me you Christians are loving on me with an ulterior motive? And the answer is you betcha. Why is that? Because I can't think of another way, another more important way to love another person is to help direct them toward Christ and away from an eternity without God. So second, how do we bear fruit? In John chapter 15, Christ says that we are to abide in Him and we will produce fruit. Understand this morning that producing fruit does not cause us to abide. Rather, abiding in Christ naturally results in fruit that God produces through us. This is tough to accept, guys, but we can fill our days with good deeds and still be an atheist. And our good deeds may never point someone to Christ. Hollywood, it's filled with philanthropists that perform charity for their own glory. Jesus says that that to produce fruit, we must abide in Him. And to abide in Him, we must be in His Word. We must be praying, and we must be convinced of God's infinite love for us. And then from a life in this position, with a real passion for the Savior, fruit becomes a natural byproduct. And that's how fruit for the kingdom is produced. I really think that if we examine the real core of this doctrine of bearing fruit and how it relates to being a Christian, what Christ has to say in John chapter, John chapter 15 is in some ways completely countercultural. See, being a Christian, it's not about being a good person and somehow making your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Becoming a disciple of Christ has nothing to do with sacrificing your needs to serve some perceived greater good. I want you to understand this morning that the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Gandhi are radically different. There are not multiple roads to heaven. And your better life now is not the point. The point is is that your life now is just a tiny speck compared to an eternity with God who loves you. That's what people need to be hearing, not self-help books from people who call themselves prophets. You see, there are people out there who recycle all of their plastic and they never litter and they're headed for an eternity in hell if they die without having trusted in Jesus. Your good deeds or what you perceive as fruit will not save you. Only trusting in Jesus Christ will save you. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And, and praise God, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's close with one last verse that I want you to look at carefully. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. If you want to bear fruit, that verse has to invade all of your life and every aspect of your life. Many of us this morning need to stop working and striving so hard to do good deeds and impress God and instead abide in Christ. 
And when you do that, you will be amazed how God will produce fruit through you that you never expected. By God's grace on our behalf, we are able to have faith alone in Christ alone. And from this connection to the vine, we are empowered not just to do good deeds, but to love others in such a way that we bear fruit that will last forever. So I plead with you this morning, stop dabbling in Christianity and abide in Christ. So let's close in prayer as our worship team comes forward. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning having just absolutely been challenged by your command to bear fruit from this passage this morning. Lord, we pray for your Spirit to just strengthen us and enable us to really abide in your love so that your love for us just infects us in such a way that it flows from us out to others and points others to you. Teach us, Lord, as believers to just resist merely dabbling in Christianity and instill in us this constant desire to abide in you and abide in your love. I just pray, Lord, that at TBC, all of us would grow to bear the marks of authentic Christianity so that it draws people to you. So as we worship, Lord, in the next few minutes, I just pray, Lord, that we would reconsider our misperceptions about fruit bearing and connect fully on reconnecting to the vine and to our faith in you so that we bear fruit, Lord, that's pleasing and honoring to you. For it's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.